0: Good morning. Today's reading is the book of Jude, beginning at the first verse. Jude, a servant of Christ Jesus and a brother of James, to those who have been called, who are loved by God the Father and kept by Jesus Christ, mercy, peace and love be yours in abundance. Dear friends, although I was very eager to write to you about the salvation we share, I felt I had to write and urge you to contend for the faith that was once for all entrusted to the saints. For certain men whose condemnation was written about long ago have secretly slipped in among you. They are godless men who changed the grace of our God into a license for immorality and denied Jesus Christ our only sovereign and Lord. Though you already know all this, I want to remind you that the Lord delivered his people out of Egypt but later destroyed those who did not believe. And the angels who did not keep their positions of authority but abandoned their own house These he has kept in darkness, bound with everlasting chains for judgment on the great day. In a similar way, Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding towns gave themselves up to sexual immorality and perversion. They serve as an example of those who suffer the punishment of eternal fire. In the very same way, these dreamers pollute their own bodies, reject authority and slander celestial beings. But even the Archangel Michael, when he was disputing with the devil about the body of Moses did not dare to bring a slanderous accusation against him, but said, The Lord rebuke you. Yet these men speak abusively against whatever they do not understand. And what things they do understand by instinct, like unreasoning animals, these are the very things that destroy them. Woe to them! They have taken the way of Cain. They have rushed for profit into Balaam's error. They have been destroyed in Korah's rebellion. These men are blemishes at your love feasts, eating with you without the slightest qualm, Shepherds who feed only themselves, they're clouds without rain, blown along by the wind, autumn trees without fruit and uprooted, twice dead, Their are wild waves of the sea, foaming up their shame, wandering stars for whom blackest darkness has been received forever. Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied about these men, see the Lord is coming with thousands upon thousands of his holy ones to judge everyone and to convict all the ungodly of all the ungodly acts they have done, In the ungodly way, and of all the harsh words ungodly sinners have spoken against him. These men are grumblers and fault finders. They follow their own evil desires. They boast about themselves and flatter others for their own advantage. But, dear friends, remember what the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ foretold. They said to you, in the last times there will be scoffers who will follow their own ungodly desires. These are the men who divide you, who follow mere natural instincts and do not have the spirit. But you, dear friends, build yourselves up in your most holy faith and pray in the Holy Spirit. Keep yourselves in God's love as you wait for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to bring you eternal life. Be merciful to those who doubt. Snatch others from the fire and save them. To others show mercy mixed with fear, hating even the clothing stained by corrupted flesh. To him who is able to keep you from falling and to present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy... To the only God our savior be glory majesty power and authority through Jesus Christ our lord before all ages now and forevermore amen
1: Well thank you Simon and good morning everyone Meab my welcome to Belindas my name's Carl I'm a senior Pastor here at Trinity Church only, and thank you for being with us on the second of January. It's a kind of sleepy day, isn't it? Um, but really great to have you here with us. If you're a primary school age kid and you don't want to listen to me for the next few minutes, I understand that. Um, you might like to sit up at the back table. There's some activity sheets to do up there. Please uh, feel free to make use of those if you would like. Over the next couple of weeks, we're going to take, we're going to work our way through. Uh, this letter written by Jude. It's, in many of our Bibles, just one or maybe two pages of text. Uh, And I think because it's so small, or or maybe also because it's got a bit of a a negative kind of tone to it, we often overlook these pages in our Bible. You've no doubt heard of the carrot and the stick approach to uh, uh, correction, you know, the idea of reward versus punishment... I think most of us in life prefer the positive reinforcement. Uh, Some of you might have heard of uh, Dr. Gottman, who's um, an expert and researcher on marriage, and he speaks about a magic ratio. He says in marriage you should have five positive affirmations to every negative. Well, either Jude didn't uh, know about Gottman, um, or he decided to overlook that, because this is got no five positive affirmations, this really is a negative letter. And I think it's part of the reason why it's overlooked in our Bibles. But we're going to look at it over the next couple of weeks. So what's it all about? Well, in a nutshell, this letter teaches all of us, you and me, that we have a role to play in protecting and guarding the church against those who lead it astray. Now, as I read through this letter, it seems to me that the background is kind of faulty or misleading doctrine... Perhaps like in 2 Peter, there are some who are denying the resurrection of Jesus. Maybe that's what got Jude so upset. But really, Jude is is silent on the actual issue. doesn't speak so much about what's actually wrong. Instead, he focuses on the behavior and the actions and the conduct of those who are leading people astray. This is a letter about behavior in one sense. And I think that's really helpful because that's universally applicable to us, isn't it? A wolf might wear sheep's clothing, but if it's still, if it's a wolf, it will still walk like a wolf. A wolf might wear sheep's clothing, but it still snarls and howls like a wolf. And Jude says you can spot the wolf, even when they're wearing sheep's clothing, by looking at their behaviour and by looking at their conduct. Now if in the past um, these, these one or two pages in the Bible uh, have not been overlooked by you and your Bible reading, you might have noticed the similarities between Jude and 2 Peter. And I want to touch on this just for a moment because for many this is a stumbling block in terms of why is Jude even in the Bible? Uh, because it's very similar to parts of to Peter. I've taken a table from Douglas Moo's commentary that is on the screen behind me, so small writing, but hopefully some of you can see this, which just highlights some of the similarities. And I'll put this up here because I don't want to skim over it for it um, as we look at this letter, because this similarity has led some to doubt the authenticity of Jude. Similarities you can see up there are very strong, lots of ideas that are repeated in both letters. Well, why is this the case, you might wonder, Why? Why would these letters say very similar things? And really they say that there's three options as to why this might happen. Maybe Jude, when he was writing his letter, used to Peter as a guide when he was writing. Or maybe Peter used Jude as a guide when he was writing his letter. Or maybe there was a third source that we don't have anymore that's been lost in the ages that both of them used. Most scholars think that it was to Peter that was written first and Jude used it as a source. But that's really only because 2 Peter's longer. That's their only reason. And and no one really knows. They both seem to deal with similar concerns. Now here's the question. Should this doubling up, should this saying of the same things, should it concern us? Should it bother us? Should Jude really be in the Bible? Well, here's what I think. Uh, And just an illustration from from my life over the past uh, month or so. Um, In the last... couple of months, I probably got around 20 emails from my boss, from Paul Harrington, about advice to do with COVID. Um, He's written many times giving me advice about how we should manage that in our church. And I've taken some of those emails and I've distilled some of the content down, sometimes I've used it almost word for word, and I've passed some of that information on to you. And if not to you, I've passed it on to the leadership team or to the other members in our staff team. Now, I've done that for our context, but if you were to go and sit in Kernel Light Gardens in the churches down the road and read through some of their communication, you'd see it's very similar to what I've said, I imagine. Because Matt Lehman, the pastor at Kernel Light Gardens, has also received similar information from Paul Harrington and has passed that on. Maybe a similar thing happened for Jude. Similar issues going on in the church, get a letter written directly for them. So it is with Jude, I think. And so that's why I think it's helpful for us to spend some time looking at this particular passage in the Bible. Now we're going to spend about three weeks looking at this particular page in the Bible. The first week, this week, is a bit more positive and I want us to see that our identity from this passage, our identity as Christians, is rooted in what God has done for us. I think it's a really great way for us to start a year together. So today I want you to go home seeing that our identity is rooted in what God has done for us, not in what we do for God. Next week we'll take a, a look at the false teachers and what they're doing and what they're like and in our final week in Jude we'll look at what it means to hold fast to the faith, to so hold fast. Right, so I hope that's enough scene setting for you, let's take a look at the first few verses of this letter. Today we'll just be looking at verses 1 to 4 and if you've got a leaflet there's a bit of an outline there that you can follow along in. Let me read to you verses 1 to 2 of this letter. It says this, Jude a servant of Jesus Christ and a brother of James. To those who have been called, who are loved in God the Father and kept for Jesus Christ, mercy, peace and love be yours in abundance. I think the first thing that we should ask when we look at this letter is is who was Jude? Who is he? And today, unless you're writing a very formal letter, we don't normally put our name up the front, but that was the convention in the times when Jude wrote this letter. And Jude starts not just with his name, but with a bit of an introduction. He introduces himself by saying that he is a a servant of Jesus and the brother... Of James. Now if you're looking through your Bible and trying to find other examples, other than times where Jude pops up, you'll have to look pretty hard because it doesn't come up so often but in the original language that this is written, uh, the word Jude, the name Jude can be translated in slightly different ways and there are actually six examples of different people in the New Testament who went by the name Jude or Judah or Judas or something along those lines, a variation of it. For example, Judas, Jude, Iscariot, the betrayer of Jesus, had the same name as this Jude here. So which Jude wrote this letter? There are six examples of them in the New Testament. Well, bring a brother of James helps the deductive scholars. And they're pretty certain that the Jude who wrote this letter is the Jude who's mentioned in Mark chapter 6. Not only is he a brother of James, but also a brother of Jesus. In Mark chapter 6, Jesus had been come back to his hometown and the locals in his hometown are struggling to come to grips with with how Jesus is doing these miracles and teaching with such great wisdom. Let me just read to you a few verses from Mark chapter 6. This is sort of the crowd speaking about Jesus. They say, isn't this the carpenter? Isn't this Mary's son and the brother of James and Joseph, Judas or Jude and Simon... Aren't his sisters here with us? And they took offence at him. What I want you to notice here is that the Judas, the brother of Jesus and the brother of James, in this passage in Mark chapter 6, is most likely the Jude who wrote this letter, the one and the same person. And that's the case. It's interesting, isn't it, that Jude calls himself the brother of James, but the servant of Jesus. It's likely that Jesus was... Was also his brother, but he calls himself a servant of Jesus, not a brother of Jesus. What do you think Jude's doing here? I think perhaps Jude realizes that his brotherly relationship with Jesus is, is really of kind of little consequence. And instead I think he wants to demonstrate his subservience to Jesus. He's saying, I think, by calling himself a servant of Jesus, that Jesus is his, his Lord or, or his master or maybe going even a step further, his king. And yet at the same time, Jude's being very clever here, isn't he? Because he's also, I think, borrowing from that kind of Old Testament idea where the Old Testament heroes, people like Moses and David and so on, were called servants of God. And in that case, their servanthood kind of came with a, a sense of honour. So can you see what Jude is doing here? He's he's elevating Jesus to a position of authority. In a sense, he's putting Jesus in in the place of God. And so even just in these first few words in this letter, we see that Jude thinks of Jesus as his Lord, his master, his king, and that he's happy to serve him. We know who Jude is. He's the brother of James, probably also the brother of Jesus. But what's most important for Jude is that he's a servant of Jesus. And in the next few words, Jude goes on to address his letter to those who he's writing to, to the Christians who he's writing to. And he does that using three very interesting words. And I want to spend a little bit of time with you just thinking about these words and how they root us in a sense of, give us our sense of identity. Jude is writing, did you notice there? Have a look in the passage. He's writing to those who are called those who are loved, and those who are kept. And perhaps the the primary thing that Jude wants his readers to know is that they are called. And I think what Jude means is that Christians are chosen here, chosen by God, called by God. This, This reflects the kind of New Testament teaching that explains that being a Christian is the result of God reaching out, of God calling those who are helplessly lost and bringing them into relationship with himself now we use this idea of calling a bit in our in our language today don't we we might say that we feel called to a new job or or called to a new life direction last week meredith and i and the kids spent a few days down at the beach i I reckon i'm called to beach life sometimes i don't know about you but that's kind of how it feels to me sometimes Now I'm not saying that God doesn't prepare good works for us to do or doesn't have a direction for us to go in life, but here Jude is using the idea of calling specifically in the context of showing the Christians that they have been chosen by God to be part of his family. Should be a great sense of comfort for us. It's not an invitation either, it's not an invitation to join the family, rather it's like a selection, something you don't turn down. You know, it's summertime at the moment, and normally the cricket's playing on in the background. Just this year, the cricket seems to be over before it started. Um, But normally the cricket's running on in the background, and as I was kind of thinking about this idea of being selected, the idea of a cricket, the cricket sort of um, uh, idea of selection came to my mind. You know, there's selectors, their job is to choose who's on the team. And I imagine the selector, I think the chief of selectors is George Bailey, making that call to Scott Boland in the week, saying something like, Hey Scott, it's George here, I'd like you to come and play for Australia. Now if you're a cricketer, you don't say, Oh, let me just go and check my diary, let me just touch in with the rest of the family, see if that's okay, do you? If you're selected to play for Australia, that's what you do, you're in. Being chosen to play for Australia is not so much an invitation, but a selection Jude addresses his audience as those who are chosen, those who are selected to be part of God's family. It's part of our identity, those who are chosen. The next word that Jude uses in addressing those that he's writing to is he says that they're loved. They could be loved in God or loved by God. It could be translated a number of different ways. But the overall emphasis, I think, is to remind the readers that they are not only called, but that they're loved. And I think this is a terrific reminder for us at the very start of a year. A reminder that I hope is helpful for you. The world around us seems to be, like it's chaotic at the moment, isn't it? There's panic, it's not really, chaotic. maybe not full on chaos, but it's uncertain and, and and we don't know what the next few weeks are going to bring. It's helpful at this time to remember that we're loved by God. Loved in an unconditional and, and even in a costly way. Yeah, you know, I said last week we were at the beach and one evening we went for a walk with the kids and um, there was another family, they were getting into what looked to be almost like a brand new Mercedes four-wheel drive. And as the kids kind of opened the door and piled in having been at the beach, I couldn't help notice that the interior of this car was like white on white, White leather, white carpet and the car couldn't have been a few more uh, older than a few more days. Brand new, white Mercedes, white on white on the inside and they're at the beach and the kids are piling in sandy and salty and you know that's love isn't it? It's love for a dad allowing something to be spoiled in that way. And as flippant as that might sound and it's just a car right? But listen to what Paul says about God's love and God's action towards us. He reads to you from Romans, Romans chapter 5. You see, at just the right time when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Or from 1 John, this is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. See, God was willing for his perfect, unblemished son to be killed for us despite us being sinful and dirty and and marred beyond recognition as, as good people. And he did that because he loved us. If you want to be reminded of how much you matter as you think about the year ahead, think about how much more valuable you are to God than a brand new white Mercedes four-wheel drive. Think about how dirty you were, how, how metaphorically sandy you were, and then realize that because God loves us, He pulls up in his infinitely valuable car and says, jump in and spoil it, I don't mind, because I love you. Don't worry about the dust. I'm happy for it to be spoiled for you. But I'd rather nothing else. So here's the truth, we matter to God, matter enough that he would have his perfect, unblemished son sacrifice for us. Jude reminds us at the start of his letter, you are loved by God. That's part of who we are, loved by God. The final word that Jude uses as he addresses Christians is he says to his readers that they are are kept, kept for Jesus Christ. And I think what Jude's doing here is saying that throughout our lives, God exercises his power to preserve those who trust in him. Now this, of course, is a spiritual preservation. It's not a physical one. The outcome is that believers would remain in Jesus until he returns or until they die. There are trials and there are temptations that, that we'll face in this life, both physical and in the spiritual realm. And we're being told here, being reminded here by Jude, that we are kept for Jesus. Great Great reminder. So having addressed his readers with, with three identity-marking words, and I really want you to hold on to these as we start this, this year, three identity-marking words. We are called by God, we are loved by God, and we are kept by him. Jude moves then on with, with another set of triplets, mercy, peace, and love. We've been offered, haven't we, the greatest of all mercies, God's favour bestowed on sinners. We've been offered peace with God and God's love towards us. I hope this is a great way for us to start 2022 with these opening words of Jude. So I think we, we often get confused about our role as, as Christians. We know that we're sinners. We know that we're saved by God and yet so often I think we, we get confused in our relationship with God and we think that our worth is determined by what we do, by our actions. And here's Jude correcting that. Christians are those who are called, loved in God the Father and kept. God's the one doing the calling. God is the one who loves us. God is the one who's keeping us. And God does all those things for us, not because we're more deserving than the person sitting at the desk across from us in our workplace, not because we're more diligent than the other parents at school, not because our intellect is just that little bit more formed. No, he does that simply because he's a gracious God. This time of the year, many of us will be setting down expectations for what we're going to do and what our actions will look like in the months ahead. The diets that we're going to get on the exercise regimes that we're going to put in place, the bible reading plans that we're going to work out, our work schedules, how we're going to have a better life work balance. As you do, those things are good to do. Don't hear me wrong, but as you do those things, I hope you can remember that you're called, loved and kept by God. It's God who chooses us, God who saves us, God who delights in us and God who preserves us. That's what our identity looks like, as those who are in Jesus. And that's how Jude starts this letter. It's a great reminder, and yet, yet despite um, this letter laying down a foundation like that, it's also a letter that has a call to action. And Jude is going to go on in this letter to ask the church to contend for the gospel. He's going to ask his readers to actively remember what the apostles foretold. He's going to encourage the church to build each other up and to pray for each other in verse 20. And interestingly, he's going to encourage his readers in verse 21 to keep themselves in God's love, even though he said here in the first few verses that we are kept by God. And he's going to do this because the gospel is being threatened. I want to read to you just from verses three and four. Now, if you've got a a Bible in front of you, read along with me. Jesus says, from verse three, Dear friends, although I was very eager to write to you about the salvation we share, I felt compelled to write and urge you to contend for the faith that was once for all entrusted to God's holy people. For certain individuals whose condemnation was written about long ago have secretly slipped in among you. They are ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God into a license for immorality and deny Jesus Christ our only sovereign and Lord. So, Jude says that he wanted to write a letter about the salvation that he shares with his readers. He wanted to write a positive and an upbeat letter, a carrot-style letter. But instead, he feels compelled to write with a stick. Why? Because certain people, he calls them ungodly people, people who pervert the grace of God are denying Jesus Christ, our only sovereign Lord, and are living immoral lives. And as you read these words just can you notice with me that the faith is entrusted not to Jude the faith of the church not entrusted to Jude it's not entrusted to the apostles but to God's holy people. Next week we're going to take a look at the immorality and the teaching that's on view in this letter but today I want to point out to you that Jude is urging the whole church God's holy people to contend for the faith that was entrusted to them. Jude's not writing to the preacher. He's not writing to the pastor or to a fledgling bishop in the region. He's not even writing to the leadership team of the church there. He's writing to the whole church, to those who are called, loved and kept, to God's holy people. In other words, he's encouraging all of us, you and me, to contend for the faith that's been entrusted to us. Now given that we're at the start of the year, it's good to kind of think forward and to wonder kind of where are the pressure points going to be for us this year? And what ways are we likely to need to contend for the faith this year? I've been thinking about this this week. Here's, Here's just a couple of ideas. It may not be the only ways. But I think one of the challenges for us at the moment is to keep remembering that our mission for the church, our mission is to make and grow disciples of Jesus. I think there's a lot of things that will distract us from that mission at the moment. You know, one distraction, I think, at the moment is is kind of political ideologies. Not that these things are bad, necessarily, but they're distractions from our mission. Things like climate change, vaccination, tax reform, sexuality. The world is very politically charged at the moment. I'm not against politics, it's a necessary part of our society, but we as a church, are we going to be influenced by particular political movements that will distract us from our mission? Our job is to make and grow disciples of Jesus, that's our mission here. Another challenge in the year ahead might come from our need to be liked and our need to be accepted. Christianity has for a couple of hundred years, or maybe even longer than that, been the basis upon which the the values and the laws for society are made and structured. And we've grown accustomed to that. But that's changing at the moment, isn't it? And with that, I expect that we will find ourselves increasingly held out as those who are old-fashioned or or out of touch or or even harmful. Here's the encouragement from Jude. Jude. And hear the urgency in the way in which he writes to his readers. He says, I urge you to contend for the faith. I urge you to contend for the faith. And we do that today, remembering what our identity is. That we are called, loved and kept. I'm going to pray that in 2022, we would remember our identity and that we'd contend for the faith of the church. you bow your heads and pray with me? Father God, we give you thanks for the letter to Jude that probably often goes missed in our Bible reading. We thank you for his reminder of where our identity is, that we've been called by you, that we are loved by you, and that you are keeping us. Please help us to hold on to those great truths. As we can, and everybody at this stage of the year, set in place patterns for the remainder of the year, may our identity shape how we establish those patterns. For those of us who are struggling at the moment, we pray that you would remind us in different ways that we are loved by you. Father, we pray that you would help us, each one of us here, to have boldness to contend for the faith. We ask this knowing that you are a powerful God, an amazing God, and yet a God that has demonstrated great love to us. Amen.